0: Well, good morning, everybody. I have been looking forward to saying those words to you and those of you that are new to Memphis Christian Church, I want to say to you, welcome home. I, there's no better two words uh, to hear from your church family, from your family, your blood flamly, flamly, family, family, <laughs> family. But that, that welcome home idea, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Last night as we finished out our time together, there was a young man who came during prayer time. We've got that great next steps place. I'm always up front here to, to meet you right where you're at and to encourage you to come to Jesus Christ or to take your next step. And he came last night and he said, I, I just feel all alone. I, I've made some choices in my life. And my friends, no one talks to me. Uh, he shared some other things. His dad's been gone for a few months. And uh, I stopped by his mom, you know, on my way up front after decision time. I said, I'm going to bring your son up and we're going to pray for him as a church family. I want to make sure that's okay with you. And it was in that moment that I realized he needed to be rewelcomed last night. He needed to know that no matter where he'd been, no matter what his experiences were while he was away from home, that not only was his mother there to welcome him, but that all of his church family was there to welcome him. And so this morning, I see some of you who haven't been here for a little while. I don't know where you've been. I've been looking for you the last three weeks while I've been gone. But it's great, it's great to see you. And I just want to say to you, welcome home. Eileen Hines, who's usually right down front here, she had surgery after following this, following this past week, and I just heard from her daughter on my way in. They're watching online today. She's without pain medication, and so she's loosened, so let's all welcome her. I sure love it that when we're out of town, when we were in wherever we were at, Wyoming, Montana, the last couple of weeks, we were able to be part of what's going on online, uh, in and out of the service, poor service coverage, but we were able to connect and keep up, and I'm glad that Eileen and others have that this morning. Well, let's turn together to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is where our uh, student, Pastor Jake, took us last week as he we looked at what it is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Remember, we're going through the Bible from cover to cover. And as we've gone through the entire Old Testament, we got this picture of God, right? We got this picture through this nation that he formed that was created to show the world who God is, his character, his grace, his mercy, his commands, the the way that we are to live life if we follow him. And, And then we get to the New Testament, and what do we get to see? We get to see God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And so last week in Luke, we talked about what it is to be a follower, to set out to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to learn from him, just as a student learns from his teacher. Now in Luke chapter 15, we come to one of the most well-known parables. A parable is a story, a story that is spoken to illustrate a point. And this trilogy of stories that we come to, there are three altogether, there is one that is most popular, and that's the parable of the prodigal son. Remember the son that left home, lived in a far country, and then decided to come home when he was completely out of everything that he had taken with him. But it's also a parable that talks about the older son. You see, it could be titled The Tale of Two Sinners, because just as one son remained at home and the other left, both were lost. Both did not understand the relationship that they could have with the father with God, And that's what we want to look at today. Except I want to go back and I want to go to the first two parables in this trilogy because we have to understand those to be able to really get a good picture of the third and most popular. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Now, now this, this illustration may not mean as much to us. Sheep we see every once in a while when we venture out. In the country right uh, we like to think more of money we like to think more of people and things but here suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it and when he finds it he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home then He calls his friends and he calls his neighbors together and he says, let's have a party. Celebrate with me. I have found my lost sheep. And you're like, well, great. We're partying over lost sheep. But then Jesus makes the connection and he says, I tell you. And I can just imagine him looking them in the eye, his audience, and saying, but I tell you, there is more rejoicing in heaven I tell you that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And all of a sudden, it becomes personal. He goes on, just in case sheep don't mean anything to the people in the crowd, he goes on in verse 8 and he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. I, I, I brought 10 coins with me and somewhere along the line and pulling out my phone or something, I, I lost one. Now, this woman in this story, this illustration that Jesus has given us, it says that she had 10 of them and she all of a sudden she realized she had nine. And what does she do? She stops everything and she goes throughout her house Now, she didn't look just like our kids look, right? Or our husbands, right? You open up the refrigerator, look. It's not in there, honey. And come right back and they point out it's right there in front of us. She turned the house over. Now, every once in a while, I flip our couch over and you wouldn't believe the stuff that gets underneath there. So it says that she got out the broom. She cleaned up her entire house. Why? Because she was looking for that one coin. How many of you when you get out of the car at the Walmarts and you're walking through and you catch something shiny on the ground and you realize it's a penny? How many of you stop and pick it up? None of us do. Not, oh, a few. All right. I knew I'd bring you out of the crowd, right? If I had asked who stops for a penny, no one would. But listen, it depends on What? It depends on the value that we place on what is lost. That's the whole point of these first two short stories because Jesus isn't talking about a coin. He's not talking about a sheep. He's talking about people, people who are lost. Now, the penny, the penny, it just falls out. It gets lost, but a sheep A sheep's a little bit different. What does a sheep do? A sheep wanders off. And what I think is so cool about this story about the sheep, the coin story is cute too, but but the one about the sheep, it answers the question, are lost things really worth the search that pursues? Because the thing about sheep is, is at some point that sheep decided that it wanted to get lost. Now, maybe it didn't think it was going to be lost. Maybe it thought, well, the grass is a little greener over there. Maybe there was a better-looking sheep that walked by, and so that sheep decided, hey, I'm going to follow her. I'm going to follow him. You know, we've got, or we did, we had a couple dogs. We've got one left. And you know, when you open that door, sometimes dogs do what? They run out And the first thing that my dog does, or their dog actually, that their dog does when it runs out is it goes right over about three acres into the pasture next to ours. And you know what it finds? It finds a good, wet pile of cow manure. (laughs) And that dog rolls and rolls and just, it's like getting perfumed, right? Some of you take your dogs to the groomer, just let them out in the country. They'll come home smelling really nice. But that's what sheep do. Sheep, they decide that things are greener out there. And what do they find themselves in? They find themselves in a bunch of filthy water. They find themselves wallowing in their own sewage. And then this guy goes out and he looks for this sheep. And what does he do with this dirty, nasty sheep? He picks this sheep up and he puts it around his neck. And he carries it home. And when he gets home, not only... Not only does he return the sheep, but he calls his neighbors and his friends and he says, let's party. Let's party over this dirty sheep. And they celebrate. And one more time, Jesus says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you, there's more rejoicing among the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents Jesus isn't talking about a coin. He's not talking about a sheep. He's talking about us. And Christians, people who follow Jesus, we need to understand something. And this parable of the coin, the parable of sheep, points us to it. And that is that our value is not earned. There's nothing we can do to create a value for our lives. Now, there's a lot of ways that we try, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But for the Christian, our value is ascribed to us by God. It's not something we create, it's not something that we earn. But when we become a Christian, our value is discovered. Now, every other belief system, every other belief system teaches that you have to earn your value. Islam, for example, you have to do all these things in order to create your value. Value, And and then when the end of life comes, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you might get a reward in paradise. But but, but you have to work for your value. Hinduism, I I love that one even better. It's the path of devotion. You find a God, a little G God, something that, a statue, that you can devote yourself to. And if you do a good job, if you stay devoted, then when you die, you're gonna be reincarnated, you're gonna come back through the caste system as something better. For example, you, you die a dog, or you die a cat, excuse me, you come back as a dog, right? M- much better than a cat. Last night I was teasing Amanda Dickerson about that, and she sent me a meme, and that meme said, uh, you die a cat hater, you come back as a mouse. But right, you, you die as a man, you come back as a woman, right? It's, it's the caste system. It's about devotion, secularism, political system. All require you to earn your value. And that's why following Jesus is so different. Ephesians 1, 4 says, long before Genesis chapter 1, long before God spoke and the heavens and the earth were created, It says that he had us in mind. He had already decided our value. He had already ascribed to us value that we would be the focus of his love. Now that sheep, that sheep was ascribed value by its owner regardless of what it did, how smart or stupid it was, whether it was found or lost. And that's critical to us. When we're asking those questions of ourselves, why am I not at peace? Why am I unhappy with some of the relationships I'm in? Why is it that I don't live up to my own expectations? Well, it's because we continue to waffle between whether our value is earned or whether it is ascribed. And when we struggle, we find ourselves lost. You see, if you believe that your value is determined by your own effort, then every mistake that you make, (laughs) Every mistake that you make is an indictment of your value. And I've gotta tell you, this is where I find myself. I, I, myself, I sat down with Bigelow. You know, I love going away on vacation, but it really takes me three weeks, and there's only been twice in my life that I was gone three weeks before I can really relax, before I can really take my mind off of everybody else and just kinda forget where I am and, and what I'm supposed to be doing. The uh, first time I did it was back in the uh, 90s. I was working for the government and I took three weeks off and I came home from vacation, sat on my front porch and I looked at my key ring and there was a key on there that I did not know what it belonged to for the life. So I just rolled it off the key ring and threw it in the bushes. Well, the next day when I went back to the office, I remembered it was the key to my desk, <laughs> right? But one of the realities of when I go away on vacation is I feel this overwhelming, this overwhelming need to come back and, and prove my value again. It, it stinks. I, I have to prove my value as a dad. I have to prove my value as a husband sometimes. I have to prove my value as a preacher. And I'm telling you, that gets weary. Uh, that, that gets hard after time. But I'm understanding and I'm really trying, friends, in my life to remember this truth that my value is not earned. My value is given to me by God. And so when disappointments come, right, when anxiety wants to get the best of us, these become an opportunity to grow If you do make a mistake, if something didn't go how you like, you don't have to live in fear or depression. Instead, we're to say, well, that didn't work very well, did it? Let's try something different this time. And this is how you go from inner chaos to inner peace. You see, value is bigger than what we realize. And the sooner that we understand that our value is not earned, but is ascribed to us. Then we can begin to understand the depth of the third parable, the one that we all know by heart. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons, not sheep, not coins, but he had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now listen, let's put some legs on this distant country for just a second. Put your finger right there so you don't lose your place. But I, I, I want you to think about that place. We've all got that place in our mind that if we, if we could just stop worrying for a minute, if we could just have the relationship with someone that we, that we think we deserve, if we could just have the resources to go, where would that place be? Now, I'm not talking geographics here. I'm talking about this place right here. Where would you go? because that's what's going on here. It's not about the distant country as much as it is where this young man is wanting to go to find something. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now the older brother later describes what he thinks that wild living was. Now, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Remember the famines of the Old Testament? Why did the famines of the Old Testament come? Because the people had done what? They had stopped relying on God. They had gone their own way. They had gone off to that distant country where they spent everything that God had shown them. And they all gave it up for other things. And so famine would come to draw their attention back. And it says, famine came in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. Someone with means, a business owner, who didn't really want to have anything to do with him. So he sent him to his fields to feed pigs. It says, that boy longed to fill his stomach, even with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And here's where I want you to make an underline in your Bible. Make me like. Make me like one of your hired men. Tell me those of you who have done this. Those of you who are experiencing this right now in your life or the life of a family member or a friend who has decided to go off to that place, that relationship, that thought process in their life, tell me, what's that been like? How's it going? Uh, Some of you are on top of the world. Right now, you've got friends around you. They're right there cheering you on. Yeah, she wasn't any good to begin with. You you deserve this. Let's why don't you buy us another drink, right? Oh, God's been so good to me. I think I'll just stay at the lake this weekend instead of coming back home. Oh, the church. Ah. I'll write them a check when I get back in town, but. Oh, this is so much fun. I'm I'm with my family. I'm I'm with my friends. What about those of you who who have let fear or anxiety into your life? And you're living in that field of bitterness. You're making your way up at work and and you're, you're blue flaming it, you know, and you're getting the promotions and, and you're earning your value. Maybe you've created a title for your sexuality just to give you an identity. Maybe you're on an ego trip. Isn't it the search for identity and worth and value that you're really on? Isn't that what it's really about? You want to feel good about yourself? You want to be known? See, this young man, I don't think he hated his dad at all. I mean, on first read, you think that he must have just hated his dad. I don't know that he hated his dad. Maybe he did. But I don't see any evidence that he hated his dad. But it's clear to me that this son is searching for something. And it's very clear to me that his pursuit away from home, quickly became sinful. Well, he finally runs out of money. He runs out of friends. He runs out of booze, whatever, wild living, whatever that looked like. His fear got the best of him. Does he see himself any better than he did before he left? He doesn't. Well, how do you know? Well, because when he decides to turn back home, what's he say? He says, I I know, I know I'm not worthy of being a son. His value is even less than it was before he left. And he's still saying, maybe, maybe I can be like someone else. (laughs) See, when he runs out of all of these things, he still doesn't have what it is that he set out to find. Are you that person? Because here's the big question that we're being pointed to, and that is when people go their own way, how does Jesus see them? How does Jesus see that younger son? Does he see him as lesser value? D- does he reject him and have nothing to do with him because, well, he, he missed his shot. He threw away all that Jesus that the father had offered him no no he views them as lost that, that that's the whole point is that he's lost now hell separation from god for all eternity these are serious subjects and, and sometimes we we hear people say and 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 they they mean what they say, and, and the Bible says that we're to, we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and that's true. However, among love there, there is a very real hell. There's a very real damnation separation from God that comes when we don't repent, when we don't turn to him, when we don't find our identity in him. But the interesting thing is, is that Jesus spoke about hell a whole lot more than he did any other subject. But what's interesting is when he talked about it, he talked about it with sorrow. Why? Because God sees people who have walked away from home, who've walked away from him as lost. And he wants us to repent, which is to turn and come back home before it's too late. And the only way, the only way that people are found and experience the value ascribed to them by God is by turning to God, and that's called repentance. That's why he says he's happier over one who repent. It's why that, that there's so much rejoicing and celebrating among the angels when one repents. Second Peter 3, 9 says God's patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. But the younger son, the prodigal, still doesn't get it, and perhaps some of us don't either. Verse 20. So he got up. He went to his father thinking, well, maybe he'll make me like, right? He'll give me value of some kind, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, I never wandered too far from home growing up. But when I did, and I realized that what I had done was completely opposite than what my parents taught me to do, I wasn't afraid to come home. You know why? Because my dad didn't do what a lot of dads do. Frankly, my dad didn't do what I would probably have done if I had had children when I was in my 20s. You see, because when someone messes up around me, they're going to hear about it when they get home. In fact, I'm going to be that guy, or I would have been that guy, standing on the porch, just kind of rolling my fingers. And when that boy came across the field, I wouldn't have gotten up and gone to him. No, he would have had to come to me and when he finally came to me, I would have looked at him, and I would have said, well, did you figure it out? Well, you're home because you're out of money, aren't you? I told you you would be. And, and, and then I'd be nice, and I'd let him back in, but then I would say something like, you know, you're not going to have any freedom until you earn it back. For some of you, you grew up in a home where... I was talking to a friend this morning and you knew that when you came home after being gone for a little while and wandering around doing stuff you shouldn't, if you came up to your dad and your dad raised his hand, you would have ducked because you would have been receiving a little bit more than a slap upside of your head. And so when this boy came home, did the dad stand on the porch about time you came to your senses? Did, Did he say it's time to pay your dues and get back? No, he saw his son and from a long way off, I want you to look at how he reacted, this father. This father picked up his robe, which would have been down to his toes. He picked up his robe and instead of walking all dignified like a father of that time would, what did he do? He ran to this boy who had been rolling in pig manure. He ran to this boy, and he wrapped him in his arms, just like that man with his sheep put that sheep around his shoulders. He gave him a fresh robe, he put a ring on his finger, and he put shoes on his feet, and then he said, just as the woman who lost the coin, just as the man who found the sheep, call the neighbors, kill the fatted calf, and let's do what? Let's party. Let's celebrate why because this son of mine was lost and now he's what he's found you see god's attitude towards you and me doesn't change even while we're lost now we struggle with that because ours does but his doesn't he loves us And he wants us home. And that's what repentance does. When we turn back to God and what he's done, when we come and we stand in his grace and his mercy that is unearned, that's when we finally begin to realize our value. When we stop telling ourselves, well, maybe I can be like, I don't deserve this. And we listen to what God is saying about us. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. And as my wife would say, the end. But it's not the end. The end there's one other son. Verse 25. That son is out in the father's field where he always is. He's supervising his father's business. He's the older son. At the end of the day, at the end of the day he's headed into the house and he hears the party. Anybody ever been at work all day while everybody else is just laying around taking it easy? You start to get the picture of the older son. The older son's been out there busting it every day, just like he always does. Trying to please his father, trying to do the right thing. And he comes in and he not only hears the party, but there's always that guy. There's always that person. And for him, it was one of the servants that met him there and said, hey, you know what's going on at the house? You hear that noise? You remember that no good brother of yours who wandered off and broke dad's heart? Well, he's back. He's back and he's wearing a new robe. He's wearing new shoes. He's got his ring on. And you know what dad did? He killed the big calf that you've been feeding and taking care of. And it says that the son didn't want to have anything to do with being part of the party. Why? Why? because the older son is as lost as the younger son. And you say, well, he stayed home. He did all the right things. Did he? Did did he really love the father? Did he really understand his value? Or was he always trying to prove his value to earn something standing For himself, he has never accepted the love and grace of the dad. You see, they're both lost. They're both sinful. Did you know there was a third son? Anybody know who the third son was, is? There's a third son. He's the one telling the story. He's the son of God. He's on a mission that began back in chapter 9, verse 51. You see, this didn't all start right here in chapter 15. But all the way back in chapter 9, verse 51, it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. What's that mean? He's on a mission to get to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem is he's going to be placed on a cross. That's his mission. His mission is to go to the cross in our place for our sins, for our filth, to pay our debt, and to rise on the third day just to give us new life. He set his face toward Jerusalem. You see, Jesus Christ, the third son, he is how the Father runs to us. He, he's the picture of God's grace. He's how the father embraces us. He's how the father kisses us. He's how the father blesses us. He's the one. He's the one who brought that younger son home. Just as he's the one who brings us home. And what about the party? What about the meal? What about the celebration when he brings us home? The meal that we'll eat with the Father at the end of time, the great feast, the wedding party, will be at a table set by this Son, Jesus. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So which one are you? (laughs) Which son are you? Because we all fit in one or the other. Uh, I've told you there are times still in my life today where I am so set on thinking that I have to earn my value. Uh, Maybe that's you. Some would describe you as the religious son. You're checking all the boxes. You're doing all the right things. You're law-abiding. You're loyal. You're working so hard. But you've still not trusted him like I fail to sometimes. You've still not trusted his great gift of grace that ascribes to us our value. Maybe you're the prodigal. Maybe you've been a lot of different places and you've experienced a lot of different things and you're like that young man last night and you don't know if you're going to be welcome. Let me tell you, he's still right there waiting to come to you and to receive you. He's already sent the son looking for you. He's right there in front of you to bring you home. Last night, as we finished out the service, a friend came up to me and he said, you know, when I think about that homecoming, when we're all together in heaven, he said, as we were playing that song tonight, he said, I saw my wife. His wife's been gone for a couple of years. He said, I saw my wife, and she was beautiful. He said, I saw my mother. She was standing right there next to her. And he thought about what, what a celebration. What a moment that will be. But you see, at one point, at one point, both of those women were lost. They may have tried to earn their way. They. They have wandered a little bit, trying to find some things in life. But at some point, while they were on earth, they came home. They came home to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what makes that great reunion, that great celebration so possible. I had another person last night ask me. He said, I've just been so unsure about whether I'll get to be in heaven to see my babies again. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, listen. You may not keep your promise, but God sure keeps his. But isn't that one of just many reasons to to come home and to be secure in him? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I thank you for home. I thank you for this home, this church family that you've given us that is just a foretaste of what it will be like to be at home with you to be at home with you for all eternity, to be surrounded by those who've gone before us and those that will come after us, that believe in you, that have trusted you, that have found their value in you. And so today, God, for those things in our life that we have sought after to try to fill that hole, well, Lord, I pray today that we will look to you, the one who created it, that we would come and that we would let you fill that. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ who set out 2,000 years ago to go and to make a way for us to be with you. Thank you, Father, for the reality that you chose us. You chose us even when we were out wandering. You chose to show us your love through him that one day we would choose in this very moment perhaps to receive that, to believe that, and to walk in that. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray today and that we respond, amen. If you'd like to talk with someone about your next step toward home, well, I'll be watching for you from up here. And if you step out in the aisle, I'll meet you and I'll help you take the rest of the journey up to him someone to pray with you back there in the back on the blue wall. David and the others will be back there to encourage you and to talk with you about what that journey home looks like and what that experience is.